Hey there. Welcome to Jenny and Paul Sell Out, the podcast where culture matters and selling out doesn't. We're all the way up to number 29. Hi there. I'm Paul Reese And joining me, of course, is Jenny Benevento. Hello, Paul. Hello. As we close out the month of February with the recording, it'll it'll go live, I guess, in a couple of weeks, mid March. We'll see. That seems to be the schedule we're on. We're doing what we can do, Paul. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm now opening up the audience app in case we have any viewers, any live viewers. They can uh, they can ask us questions live or comment or, or add to the discussion. Uh, remember to turn it on in advance, which, for whatever reason, uh, that's what uh, Google requires you to do. So we'll see. You know, you know what I haven't done. I've not uh, posted this to our website ever, which which is dumb. Yeah, it's it's kind of dumb. I think. I mean, I think we're still still learning how to use. I think everyone on Earth is still learning how to use a Google Hangout. Yeah. Still, still feeling <laughs> our way. It changes pretty much every day. Yeah. So. So, you know, it's not a stable technology. Yeah, it's not a stable technology. We'll get that figured out one of these days and then it'll all be nice. So uh, how are things there in uh, in Chicago? Uh, they were delightful. And then your wife uh, planned to come here and now they're apparently terrible outside. But I have not been there. Outside, that is. Yeah, no, I don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just accepted we should just never, never go there until March. That's too bad. We, we're, we're getting a, a brief uh, respite here in Portland. So today it is 60 degrees and sunny, but it's supposed to be like 40 and rainy again for the next week. So it's one day. I made sure to get outside for a bit, do my errands, get my hair cut, go to the credit union. We're all good now. Oh, you know what I did buy today? As a Artisanal special treat to myself. No, I did not. That would have been cool. Uh, I, bought, I bought an AeroPress. Oh, yay! I, I am a big it. fan of the AeroPress. Yeah. It's the best. It's intense. Like, I, I, so I had like just a regular like two-ounce espresso, double espresso, uh-huh. and that was an intense little cup of coffee. Did you add water? I, I, I drank half of it, then I added water and turned it into okay. more of a... Um, uh, coffee. Americano. Yeah, Americano. Yeah, it was good. It wasn't yeah. too hard to do. Nice and strong. I enjoyed it. Easy to clean. I guess, I, yeah. I am an evangelist of the AeroPress. Yes, I did not push I a Tonks, it. though. Uh, <laughs> you did not push Tonks. I have pushed a couple Tonkses, and I, yeah, I'm not impressed. So I, I pushed a Kova. It's a, okay. it's a roastery here. See the, see, the thing about the Tonks, see, now they'll never advertise with us. Not that we have any advertisers to begin with, but um, is that I, I did it, and I thought it was fine. I thought it was perfectly fine coffee, but I can get fresher coffee here and i could in chicago and i could even when i lived in champagne right so i have a million dollar idea i'll never do but i would love to give this idea to someone in our listening audience who will go and do it um i like the automatically getting coffee in the mail idea that many places do you know to a tonks or javelia even (laughs) um and i think there's like craft coffee club but none of them take into account what you actually like in coffee which I find extremely frustrating. They just like give you the best coffee they found that month. But uh, I would yeah. prefer if like you could fill out like a Netflix type form 
which was like, I really like these coffees, and I don't like this, and I hate extra roasty, and I hate this. And then they sent you things according to that. That's no, what I want in the world. Co-op doesn't do that? Co-op? Yeah, isn't that... I don't know co-op. Are the folks up in... Is, it, is that right? Up in Madison? The hot sauce people? No, the, the, the I shit my pants people. <laughs> oh, uh, I don't think they do that. Like, I, I looked into basically every site that like they'll they all do like a monthly thing but they don't do like a different coffee every month you know they'll they'll either do monthly we give you a different coffee every month or monthly we give you the same coffee every month but they don't do a hey we'll handpick something for people who like dark roast or we'll handpick something for people who like light roast so if someone knows of this in existence please tell me because i would love it i see so you want you want it to be uh Something... I, I want to be profiled. <laughs> I, it doesn't need to be like specifically only for me, but you know, like, hey, I'm in the group of people who like this sort of coffee. I see. Okay, so uh, just coffee—that's it. Yeah, just coffee. You can kind of just you just order online, right? Right. I see. Yeah, Which, I guess that it's... would be the way to go. Yeah, because then because if I get any of these other ones, then I get some coffee that I'm like, ooh, this is brutal. I can't deal with this. So. I don't know. It's very personal. One's mm-hmm. like of coffee. I don't know. It's it's a real problem in my life, Paul. It's a real problem. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. <laughs> oh, can't you just and like? Uh, well, can't you just try a few and decide one you like, and then and then just order that? Well, so I've done that, but that results. I don't. I guess I don't know enough about coffee um, to figure that out. I see. That's the issue. Is like I'm at a coffee. Like, I don't know enough to pick the right ones for me Mm -hmm. in the same way that I might look at a new movie and be like, this movie sucked. But like Netflix is there for me. I see. I think the Netflix example is good because it's like, I want suggestions. You just need a good barista. You just need to go to a good shop. I do. And I mean, and and, and ask like, so I, the coffee I'm drinking right now, um, I'd had that roaster before uh, and, but they're relatively new and they don't have a really don't have a store or a shop. So uh, there's a new coffee shop open up uh, not too far from here. And uh, they shocking. had it. Yeah, it's shocking. <laughs> well, if, only, a, only a new one only opens up every couple of weeks. <laughs> I don't know what you're saying. And of course, this one's, this one's like the super sleek, like, you know, hipsters Euro. dressed up like it's 1890 kind oh, of place. Yeah. 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 Um, and Tiny course, spenders. Yeah. But they're really nice. They were super nice. And the funny thing, though, is it's in this neighborhood, Irvington. Uh, along Street Broadway. In Irvington, I would say, like, if I were to characterize your average, uh, your average Irvingtonian. resident is like 55 semi-retired walks a dog a lot. <laughs> so okay. I go in there, uh, I guess it was kind of nice on Wednesday, I think it was, to go do some work. And it's like two in the afternoon. And I am the only customer in there remotely under 55. And so, so, and there's like this hippie, like very hippie couple retirees, looks like 65, 70. And I'm like, wow. So we have these sleek, sleek, and, you know, super, you know, Euro style, you know, nice dark woods, hipster with nice mustaches, you know, preparing your coffee and like total, like dusty food co-op hippies <laughs> and retirees. Well, but maybe... There. Okay, maybe it's for the future people who will live there when it be when that neighborhood becomes yeah, hip. But they were all really or 
everyone was really happy with their coffee. Like they <laughs> Well, see, what I think is it's actually for that group of people to make them be like, we go to this cool yeah, coffee right. shop. I think that's what it is. And, and then I after a, that's a good idea. After been there for like a half hour, you know, like a, a much more Natalie dressed kind of 30 something dude kind of came in and he was clearly like working around the corner or something and catching his cup of coffee and you know, it started to change up a bit. But when I first got in there, I'm like, wow, okay. Like, this is the same group that you see at Pete's just <laughs> just down the street. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was, it kind of blew my mind. And of course, it's, you know, it had like eight seats. It's like a little tiny, there is, tiny place. There is one Pete's, as far as I know, in Chicago, just one. And I don't know how there's only one. And I don't know why they would open just one. Um, but I went there the other day and I got a latte. And they said, what kind of milk would you like? And I said, regular. And that, they gave me 2%. Uh-huh. That That's is what regular. they felt like regular milk was. <laughs> mm. um, I thought pizza's <laughs> taking over all the caribous that were closing. Oh, they are. That's true. That's true. But until until they took over the caribous, they're, I haven't seen them actually take them over yet. But okay. there was just one. One pizza. Oh, there's one in Evanston. Oh, okay, there's two. I realized that's, but not, that's Chicago. Actually not in Chicago. Yeah, it, it's yeah. it's like three miles north of Chicago. Yes, yes. Coffee, coffee, coffee. Well, you've got out a great business idea. Maybe we just need to I know. Work, work with maybe. Well, you know, so just coffee does the uh, that's the the cooperative up in Madison, right? They do the WTF blend, and apparently now they have a they do a Smodcast blend. <laughs> oh. So yeah, we can be. This could be an alternate coffee model for um, podcasting. Because mm-hmm. apparently, podcast podcasting and coffee go together. Um, so I, you know, I'd be happy to um, help the metadata on your on your coffee upstart. I would be happy to advertise it. Please all start right. it. That's yeah, start it. Maybe you know, and it could be anywhere. It could be in Chicago, Portland, Seattle. We don't care. We'll help you out. We'll get it working. Costa Rica. I don't care. <laughs> I'll help you. <laughs> it's, a, it's a long shipping times from Costa Rica. That's it's the true. problem. It's true. Well, uh, so uh, now that we've so- solved the world's coffee delivery problems. Um, Someone's going to get rich off that idea. Yeah. I just want to patronize it. Yeah. You just need to call it Reed Hastings and uh, see if uh, maybe he wants to get into the coffee business. There you go. My venture capital coffee business. I mean, you're the metadata. I mean, this is something, yeah, they just need to hire you. I know. That's why it's so frustrating. I could totally help these people. I feel like I have a lot of metadata ideas for a lot of businesses. (laughs) But, yeah. You just need the right investors. Right. Or I need to work harder, according to this book we read today. (laughs) Yeah. So... (laughs) We start. We we we've uh, started the new uh, sellout book club. Yep, uh, we're the we only sh- two members so far. You know, I bet you if we we probably could have called this guy Cal, and he probably would have been on the podcast. Um, well, we could do a two parter. Yeah, we could do a two parter. Uh, so we read this book that Jenny suggested. You can. Uh, I did. Tell us. Tell us why you suggested it. What the book is. What is the title of the book? So good they can't ignore you. Uh, which is a quote from Steve Martin. It's based on a quote from Steve Martin. Um, basically, I ha- I don't remember where I first saw it, but it was recommended somewhere. 
I think actually on a, you know, a lifestyle blogger, which he kind of makes fun of lifestyle blogging throughout the the book um, a little bit. And I, I definitely, my vice is definitely reading lifestyle bloggers. Um, uh, but he, um, it's basically a book. The, the idea is that he interviewed all these people about what makes them happy about their job. And um, then he sort of came up with this idea of how to be happy in your job and then tested it on himself. Um, and he's a professor at, where at? I don't know. Um, Georgetown. You, Georgetown, right. Yes, in the end of the book, he talks about getting the offer at Georgetown. So, um, And so he takes the title, So Good They Can't Ignore You, as like the principal advice to how you should approach a career um, that you should just be so good they can't ignore you. You shouldn't follow your passion. And because we had a podcast earlier about, um, you know, if if following your passion is a terrible thing for society, I thought this would be very much up our alley. <laughs> yeah, I, I had read this guy's blog called Study Hacks uh, for quite some time. And, you know, amongst many other lifestyle blogs. Uh, and... You know, I enjoyed it because he, he talked a lot about, you know, find, you know, how to get better at something, right? And and to sort of focus his time. And, and I guess he had started it as a, as a college student um, because he found that if he was really thoughtful about how he spent his time in terms of what he did and, and um, how focused he was, um, he got really good grades and he didn't, wouldn't necessarily have to work harder than a lot of other people. He was just working smarter and then he did a PhD. Um, in computer science at MIT, um, and and put a lot of stuff into practice. But based upon the title, when I heard about the book coming out, I was I was already a little bit biased against it. I have to admit, uh, and I knew the quote from Steve Martin: "So good they can't ignore you." Right. But what biased me is I'm like, well, so who's they? You know, I would I'm, say I agree. I, I'm I'm also kind of uh, skeptical of anyone who uses the term hacks, right? And and his <laughs> in that way, his study hacks really aren't hacks. I mean, compared to like Life Hacker or like a Tim Ferriss four day work week thing, his stuff is is right. really not a hack. It's really just uh, good advice, <laughs> reasonable right. and advice. I, I, and I definitely feel that way about this book generally. Like I'm, I feel like a lot of it. I'm like, yeah, you should work hard at your job. That's awesome advice. <laughs> like, right. and and that's all, of course, simplifying it. But there are a lot of things in this in this book that I'm like, yeah, no, I'm sure some people need to be told this, but like, duh, work real hard and get good at your job. Okay. <laughs> it's a bit more systematic than that, right? And he tries to no, make totally, it, totally, right? But it, I'm right. I, I I think you know. On the one hand, right, his advice is is against sort of a, a a dominant strain in society, right? That don't follow your passion, which is the same as you know we, we talked about in a, in a in a recent episode about the whole um, love what you do kind of uh, mantra, right? And so by turning down his head, and he said it, he did so. He he does it, you know, knowing that that catches people's attention. He's he's very explicit that he knows that 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 gets uh, some publicity, um, but it. It's not that he's sort of against loving what you do. It's rather that he thinks that people think that if they just love something and pursue it, that that's good enough. Or rather that something that looks like they might like to do it will turn out to be their passion. And that it's not necessarily uh, such a straight line or as easy as that. Well, and through um, 
doing really awesome at your job and getting there's like a few points of things that he has not only he has studied but lots of people have studied that like if these points are at if these points are at your job if you get these three or four things then you'll be happy no matter what so the idea of like once you get good at your job you're actually happier about it you know so if you lead with passion instead of being good at it um you kind of don't get good at it and so it sort of sucks but like any job you're kind of good at is more pleasant i guess this is general idea yeah i think that's this yeah he has this example of someone else did this study of administrative assistants in a in a university and the longer someone was an administrative assistant the more they ended up finding that job as their passion because you know they liked it and they were good at it and they stayed yeah and i think that uh one of his arguments is that uh, especially people in, in in sort of knowledge work which i think even being an administrative assistant is basically knowledge work um but you know uh, all sorts of things that are not necessarily you know, physical skills, like even being a musician or being, um, you know, a laborer in a lot of ways. He, I mean, he counts TV writing as, as knowledge work. So yeah. I think it's a fairly broad, yeah. Yeah, people yeah, people who are doing, you know, not so physical labor and, and also, but a labor which, you know, deals with writing or reading or, or you know, shuffling papers in some cases. Um, and, and he sort of puts out there, he proposes that a lot of times people doing knowledge work plateau. Like you get good enough. And in many cases, you know, that it's good enough for you. It's good enough for your boss. It's good enough for the people, for your coworkers. And that, and, and that can be fine, but it, it means that it, that it, it kind of falls short of, of becoming something which you really love, which in which you feel like it, you can really excel at it. Um, and, and I've seen that people like that. So, I mean, I've definitely worked with people like that. I've experienced work, uh, being around people like that. And, and, and I think I've experienced some element of that. And I kind of agree with, with that, with that point. Oh, I totally, I think there's like two main points in this book that I found really convincing and helpful. And that was definitely one of them. I have totally felt that way. And I think part of the reason, which I only sort of, I mean, I probably knew in general, but that this book, I kind of, kind of made crystal clear is like, Another reason people plateau is not just because it's good enough, but because they're not getting those three or four things he thinks you have to have to be happy at a job. Yeah. One of them being like control, you know, like control over your work week, control over an autonomy, I think is is a better way to say that. Um, so like you get good at your job, but your micromanaging boss is still there, like asking mm-hmm. you every day if you're good at this or if you're do- getting this stuff done. And like that 100% has happened to me where it's like, but you know, I know how to do this. Like, why do you have to be on my back? And then your your work either plateaus or goes down. I mean, I think he mentions that too, which I, I've seen happen to tons of people. Because if you don't get that added layer of, you know, you're not moving forward at all. There's mm-hmm. nothing really that interesting. Yeah, and the other part about plateauing, he says, is that what you become unc- is that you are uncomfortable with having a difficult challenge, right? So, part of becoming better, part of of becoming so good, is that you take on new challenges and you move through difficult phases when it's super challenging and hard and unpleasant. Um, because on the other side of that, of course is that then you get better and it's more pleasant, right? So it, it can be learning a new skill or, you know, as a musician, it can be, so I've gotten, you know, really good and I've learned, you know, 
I'm very good, you know, through most major chords and scales. Now I'm going to challenge myself to learn a jazz scales, or I'm going to challenge myself to get better at at uh, some different modes or something, even though I'm really good at a blues scale, right? <laughs> that kind of thing. And I think the similarly, you know, in knowledge work for him, you know, as a computer science professor, it was um, one of the things he said he did was, you know, there was a particular set of, um, of uh I don't know, basic practices or, or, or algorithms that had that was recently becoming popular, but a lot of people still didn't understand really well because the paper that first suggested them was difficult to read and very dense. And he decided that he would dive into that paper and really deconstruct it so he could absolutely understand it and sort of explain it very clearly in his own words. Um, and in so doing, discovered two errors, which he brought to the authors. And the authors acknowledged and said, yeah, you're the second person to find those two errors. But because he was able to do that, right, he moved to a level of mastery of this of this technique and is able to do much more with it um, rather than sort of taking it as a given and just working on top of that, right? And, and it was hard work to, to, to deconstruct it and, and, and required quite a bit of focus, but rewarding in the end. Yeah, I mean, I think his, I mean, his main idea is like, there's, he, and he does a lot of things that are sort of measurable and scientific about this, which I did like, that sort of did convince me where it was like, he did all this research of where follow your passion has been seen in, in literature and how people's enjoyment of their job has correlated to it, which I don't think is exactly one-to-one, -one, but it was an interesting point. And it was just basically like, the more people get told to follow their passion, the less happy they end up being in their career. And he gives you lots of examples, which I'm sure are a dime a dozen that you have people in your life who have done this, where people quit their job to, you know, I think the one that was kind of laughable uh, was a woman quit her job to take a yoga instructional class, um, teaching class, to teach children yoga. And of course, like, she's had two months of experience, right? Like, but instead of, you know, maybe keeping her job and getting 10 years of yoga teaching experience and then opening her business, she just says, like, this is what I really want to do and, and doesn't do any business planning about whether this is a need in the community or whether anyone will come to her. Um, and maybe she did, but he didn't. He definitely painted it as if she took this advice to follow her passion above, say, making a business plan. <laughs> or, mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I think he does simplify the idea of like, oh, people are left and right just following their passions without, you know, making any sort of, um, right. you know, getting the business skills or getting the actual skills to do the job. Of yeah. Passion. And, and I think, you know, don't follow your passion is simplified. And then I think he'd admit as much. I think he makes it clear, you know, and I don't think it is so much. Don't follow your passion so much as that following your passion in and of itself is inadequate, you know? And so it may yes. turn out that you find your, and because he really talks more about finding your passion in a lot of ways as a result of, you know, going out, trying a lot of things, getting good at something, obtaining mastery and control over it so that you end up with what he calls uh, career capital, right? Where you become so good that people want you to work for them rather than the other way around in which you sort of are begging people to give you jobs in, in a way uh, so that you can control much more of your own destiny. And, and, and he breaks it into four rules. It, which are, which, you know, and rule number one, of course, is don't follow your passion. Second one. Is, and about 17 sub rules. Yeah, 17 you know, like sub there's rules. Like, there's a lot of numbers and letters and like. He's a, he's a computer in scientist. In rule three, 
Yeah, no, I mean, it is, and that is a challenging part about reading the book. But I will say in the ebook version, it does link back. So he'll mm-hmm. say like, in rule three, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, which one was rule three? Um, and you can go back and forth. So that's. It's well organized. It's very straightforwardly it written. Is. It's breezy. It's easy to get through, um, you know, and. I would without, say it's a little repetitive. Yeah. I think so. I, but I think that's part of sort of drilling these things into your brain and making sure you it's, don't miss It's case study rich, uh-huh. which I liked, but there was a little too many. I feel like it was like, yeah. look, here's another example. Look, here's another example. I mean, it was, it, which is good. I mean, you can, and then at the end, he does this thing where he summarizes every, again, every case studies, like how they hit all of his rules and stuff. Yeah. I didn't read the, so, that end because uh, I was tired of it. I did not at all. But... <laughs> So rule one, don't follow your passion. Rule two, be so good they can't ignore you, which is the importance of skill. Three is turn down a promotion, right? And I, I like this one because, you know, I, I've now been in a place in which I haven't been, I haven't been, I haven't turned down a promotion, but I've been in the place where uh, an advancement in my career was on the horizon, right? So on offer, shall we say, if I wanted to to follow a certain path and I chose not to because, I wasn't crazy about where I was in terms of how much autonomy and control I had. And I kind of peered over the horizon and saw, gee, moving up a little bit on the ladder is probably going to mean even less autonomy and control and having more responsibilities, many of which I don't have enough control over. So sure, you know, the title will be cooler and nicer and maybe, and the pay will (laughs) probably be better, but I'm not sure that uh, the work will be better. And that's, you know, and I, and I chose against it, you know. And I have been in the same situation. I agree with you. Although I think it's a really poor summary of this point. I think point three Mm -hmm. is more define what you think success is. Yeah. Um, And actually this, the rule three is my, is my favorite case study, which is this woman, Lulu, who sounds really awesome. um, Who just is really good at her job. And she, does some programming and some QA testing and basically makes choices that any other person in her family would be like, why are you turning down this promotion? Or why are you quitting your job right now? Or, you know, when you have a mortgage. Um, But instead she decides like, well, right now is I need three months off or, you know, actually I like doing my job and I don't think being a VP would be very fun. And so, and also, she is the main point in his book where it's like, well, once you become totally valuable to a business, start sort of asking them for things in return. Um, so I think that point to me was more decide what you actually want in your job and also uh, take a step to direct your career, you know, like ask your bosses for more control over your work week or such and such. So. I, I liked that point too. I agree. It was one of my favorite points in the book, but I think it is, it's not really, I mean, maybe your ideal career is to be a vice right. president who doesn't have a lot of, you know what I mean? I think that was a, a, a poor assessment of that on his part. Yeah. I mean, I think he means these to be provocative, right. And, and sort of counterintuitive uh, for the purpose of catching attention um, and, and feels like that, saying turn out a promotion captures more attention than it's important to be in control. Right. Right. Because his case study like took like seven promotions. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, that was the other thing I was like, that doesn't make any sense because along the way she took like eight promotions, yeah. <laughs> but then she just turned down some of them because they weren't the job that she was interested in, which I was, I, I thought that was cool. Yeah. So it's more um, like 
turn don't take every promotion <laughs> be careful right. about the promotions you take Do, or i think i mean which any self-help career book is basically down distilled to its essence think about your career and what you actually want not just um you know taking whatever your company gives you and then also make proactive steps to get better at things sure which is like i mean it's, that's it's great advice <laughs> yeah well right and it, and it's a matter of don't necessarily accept wholesale what either your company or you know society at large tells you is a definition of success or what you should want. Decide for yourself what you want. And if it happens to align, great. <laughs> There's no reason that's a problem. But if it doesn't happen to align, then you know figure out a, a, a different path, I think, right, is, is kind of what's coming across here. And uh, Can... go ahead. I just, I think rule four is where I got a little shake. Like, I was like, what is rule four? And the little bets thing. Mm hmm. So it's, Can well, you yeah. Talk so about rule it? four is think small, act big, right? Um, or the importance of mission. And actually, I, 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 that made sense to me. So the idea is it's little bets. So I think, you know, to, in, in a real practical sort of way, little bets is making test testing yourself in various things that you might want to do with relatively low stakes. So, so if we take that the example of the woman who wanted to be the yoga instructor, right? So she quits her job and then enrolls in a, in a yoga instructor's course, hoping that at the end then she's going to be this yoga instructor, uh, replacing probably, you know, an upper middle class income. And the, uh, Little steps, the little bets would be more, well, why don't you, you know, see if you can't take that class on nights and on weekends and then begin maybe sort of doing an individual practice, you know, taking on clients again, nights and weekends uh, bit by bit to see if one, there's anyone who, who, you know, wants you to be teaching children yoga and to, you know, so first finding out, gee, does anyone actually want this service? And then two, you know, are you are you good at it? You know, do you enjoy it? Is it is it work out for you? So that when you decide that, boy, this is my passion, you already you already know have an extent to what what's going to happen. You already you know the, it's a better bet than just wholesale quitting your job and running off and doing it. I think that's sort of the point of little bets, and it can also be you know, as he mentioned, you know, as a computer scientist, there's a lot of different. Uh, areas, you know, sub areas, and, and he could get into different theory and different algorithms. And he sort of, you know, poked around at them until happening upon the area that, that he ended up liking a lot, but that he was also found was gave him an opportunity for success because of this relative small number of people working in that area as opposed to other areas. So you don't have to even necessarily, you know, in some ways work is hard to distinguish yourself. And I think that's an important point. Yeah, I mean, I think this completely jived with all of, like, my personal, like, work success. Um, I think the, first of all, the side job is really, like, put on a pedestal here. It's like, well, why don't you work three jobs at the same time? Yeah. I mean, I think this book is kind of the opposite of uh, a get-rich-quick scheme in that, mm -hmm. one, it works. And, two, it's like, well, the answer is work really hard. <laughs> So maybe you're not into that, though. I mean, I think a lot of people who are picking up this book probably don't want to work very hard. I think most of the negative examples he gives are are people who who probably had the common knowledge to be like, yeah, I should do all those things first, but I'm following my passion. And so 
I mean, I think he kind of sees follow your passion as a crutch to not do work. Uh, whereas I feel like if any of those follow your passion people just also put in the work, it would have been fine, right? So, well, and I think it's not it's not just put in the work, but it's it's work smarter. I mean, one of the things he yes. says about you know you know he went to like Dartmouth and I had four right? And he said that he didn't work past six or seven p.m. at night, right? In part, not because he's so brilliant, but because he he picked a strategy and he stuck with it. And I did, you know, and, and to some extent, I wasn't as successful as he in college, but I, you know, I graduated with a very good GPA, and I quit having to do all nighters after my freshman year because I was very good about taking advantage of a lot of idle time during my week, so that when it came time to Thursday night, Friday night, etc., you know, outside of exam time or something. Yeah, I, I mean, I had lots of fun and had plenty of time to socialize without compromising my GPA because I just looked at my week and said, there's all this idle time when, like, you know, I could be sitting around playing Nintendo in a dorm and watching soap operas in the dorm or something, and I decided to use it to study, right? <laughs> so that I could have my time at 8 o'clock to hang out and have fun. You know, I, so so I do think there's a, it's it, it, there is there is the work hard, but it's work hard in a sort of in a certain way, not not the eighty hour week work hard, but in put in a good forty hour week as opposed to a all over the place forty hour week or all over the place. Well, and uh, one of the rules I don't know which one um, is work hard in the right way. Mm -hmm. I mean, the right way is really a key point to this book, um, and that is the like hey, we're all uncomfortable with not knowing things. And like sometimes, especially when you get comfortable in a job, you just keep, you know, you don't really learn stuff in a yeah. new way or things that challenge you. And I think his he does this great example of this kid who is a musician who like was a professional musician by like 16. He sounds amazing. And I would like to hear his music based on how they describe him in this book. And then the author is like, well, I also got a guitar at the age of 10 or something and played every single day and was in a band at 16. But like, why am I not this virtuosic player? And, and I thought that example was really good because it's like, well, the bluegrass musician guy who's amazing every day, works at doing things he's really bad at. Yeah. Um, whereas like your average guitar player who is 15 just plays the same song he's already good at. <laughs> um, and it's really hard. Uh, but like if every day you're pushing yourself to the limit, it's better. And I think th the easy example here is any sort of physical training. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's such a, it's such an obvious example when you think of it in terms of physical training, but like for some reason, it I don't know if we don't apply it to ourselves mentally. <laughs> well, I mean, knowledge work as as something which a large number of people are engaged in is a very recent phenomenon. I mean, the idea that there would be you know millions of people in the United States who basically work with computers and documents and you know data and knowledge is is new. You know, so I think that our you know if you talk about <laughs> you know, industrial or post-industrial human history in the West, uh, mostly people were getting good at things that were more physical in nature, that were crafts of sort um, that required your hands and feet and back. And the idea of it now being something which we do mostly with mental effort is, is relatively, relatively recent. So I think that that's probably part of it. Well, and I guess there are still people who, you know, do the same elliptical training every single day for right. 10 years and don't realize like, why is this not working for me? 
Yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess it's true both ways. But yeah, that idea that like it's really uncomfortable to be bad at something, but that's the only way you get good at something rang really true to me. I thought that was that was pretty good. Yeah, and I, I do appreciate that there was not a really an emphasis on material gain or on him providing a definition of success. He leaves that very open and doesn't really talk about things like salary. And I mean, there's a, it's implied in some ways. And he certainly mentions that some people are very successful financially, but he doesn't make that the standard of the qualification. He, he really makes personal satisfaction and having a personal mission, the key point rather than being able to buy the new, you know, Cadillac uh, plug-in hybrid. Yeah, but I do, I do think, and the part of the book which I was not sold on is, um, I mean, I think in the first half of the book, he really gives like, having any sort of interest in anything is a bad way reason to make it a career. And I thought that was like, it was low bogus. And he, he definitely eases up on that in the second half of the book. Um, but the idea of the the mission where he says, you know, I get a lot of questions in email about how you figure out your mission or how you figure out your passion. And he's, I, I guess I felt he doesn't really explain it. He's like, you kind of just go from job to job and figure it out. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, well, yeah, he doesn't. I mean, I think it's kind of like, you know, when you find it, but, but you may not find it where you're looking for it. Like, right. you know, you may say, well, I have a mission, you know, you know, yeah, I agree. He doesn't really address it. And I think maybe it's because the mission is often, more abstract than than you're often aware of or comfortable with right yeah i think i think it's where his like examples sort of fail it's like yeah. oh this person did these things and i mean a lot of his examples are super typical examples where it's like well i thought i wanted to do this so i went to school to do that but while i was doing that i met this guy and then i started a part-time job doing this and i realized that was my passion or I'm sorry, that was my mission. I mean, mission is his code word for passion. Like, let's all admit that. <laughs> like, well, no, that is I how I felt. So. I mean, I, I agree that there's a bit of overlap there. I wouldn't say that it's that it's just a swap, and because I, I think it's that, more directed. It's more practically directed, right? Because mission implies right that there is an actual application, right? So if it, you know the same, like so the, the the big example in the mission chapter is is a woman who um, is a, a basically at this point a computational geneticist. Um, and, a and a rock star, literally. And a rock star. Uh, <laughs> like she sounds like another amazing person. Who's like, you know, 35. Um, yeah, she sounds great. But who stumbled She's into it. She's curing all the diseases. Right, because initially she studied basically just straight genetics or anthropological genetics. And, well, math first. And math, right. And then figured out that she could apply these statistical techniques to uh, to genetic sequencing and, and figuring out who, basically why some people in a, in a given population don't uh, get a particular disease and using that to help move towards curing it and started working directly in Africa and in places that are, you know, having great difficulty with, with, with preventable diseases and things like that and found that ended up being her passion, right? And, it, and there's a real practical... Aspect to that, right? Um, in terms of you know really helping people and, and helping people through genetics, but you know the fact that it turned out to be through the uh, statistical application, statistical methods applied to genetics, that probably isn't her mission. Her mission is sort of 
one step abstracted from that, it just turns out that what she's really good at is the statistical methods applied to genetics. And so that's her way of achieving it. I think, and I, he does not explain that. That's me reading in. That's my take on it. And I think that that could use more explication, this idea of maybe your mission and what you do are connected and, and should be in some kind of alignment, but understand that you might have a lot of different careers or different things that you do that are all aligned with the mission, even though in a lot of ways they look very different on the surface. And he doesn't get into that. And I think that that's a detriment. Yeah, I would say that's my major problem with this book. I feel like I told, I think people should read this book. I 100% agree with his rules and steps. Um, but I think the thing that sucks and doesn't help the people he's actually trying to help is like, you know, his basic advice is kind of it's kind of like buck up, do some hard work. I mean, he has he has Ira Glass as an example, and Ira Glass puts it extremely like kind of meanly in a way that I love. is It's very like, well, you're not going to like my answer, but you have to like be bad at your job for ten years until you can like get enough skills to actually start to be good at it. And I think that's one hundred percent true. But like, how, then how do you know that you're not like, oh, I'm I you know I got a job in this insurance office and I'm now really good at insurance, but I've not developed any passion for it. You know what I mean? Or mission. Um, I think it's it's hard to sell that to someone who's like, a, you know, a college student who really wants to figure out what their job in life is going to be. Like, you shouldn't just pick any job and just, like, work really hard at it if you have no interest in it, which is, no. I think, something he sort of discounts. I mean, I don't know that he discounts it, but he doesn't pay much mind to it. He does, right? It's not how do you pick your, your right job or passion book, right? Sure. There's a certain presumption that you have some things in mind, that you're already on on that road. And it's understandable, you know, that it, that's difficult and, and hard. And, and he sort of provides some degree of support for the fact that it may take you a while to stumble around and find it, um, but that it w is not necessarily easy. Yeah, I would say the, the highlights of this book for me, and he says these like, and I've like highlighted them and put lots of notes around them. And it was like, you you need to be good at something before you can expect a good job. Like the world does not owe you a job. You you should look at it as what can I do for the world? Mm -hmm. um, which I really liked. I thought that was, I, and I do think like anytime someone's come to me and asked for advice, that is definitely the position. Like, and I, I think it's kind of seen as a millennial thing, right? Like, the world owes me this great job because I went to school. Um, so I really liked that. Um, and I really, I felt like a lot of his ideas have like a very capitalist argument in them, which is like, figure out where in the economy there is a job where they will pay you lots of money to do it because no one is doing it. Um, and the, I, the guy who owns CD Baby or invented CD Baby um, makes this point really well. And he, he says, it's not because you want to make a ton of money. But if it's something people will pay a lot of money for, it's obviously useful to people. <laughs> like, be useful to people is a general <laughs> right. theme. And I think that there's a lot, there's there's a number of ways of looking at that. And, and I mean, it's always that, it's it, you know, for me, I, I mean, I, I by and large, I agree with the advice in the book. And I think he lays it out pretty well. I think there's a lot of people who could benefit from it. But then there is also the side where, you know, I, I also want people to be able to go do things that haven't been market researched, <laughs> you know, that 
are born to some extent of a degree of inspiration um, and not out of, you know, strict research. Right. You know, and, and, and this, I think this book can help someone in that, in that area because some of the advice, so you pick that thing, then get really good at it is good advice. Right. So don't just sort of pick, well, I'm going to, I think that people need, you know, I don't know, a podcast about blackjack, right? Well, if you're no good at blackjack, that doesn't help, right? Um, even if you love blackjack. Nor if you have any interest in blackjack, yeah. Right, or if you're not good at podcasting, you know, and, and it, you know, there's there are all these things I think that fills in, but I think, right, in, it, we all, I want a world in which people, you know, can spring something new into it where, where there is, where, where maybe initially lots of people are like, well, why would I want that? You know, why would I pay money for that? Uh, because maybe, you know, the value isn't obvious yet because, you know, just in a way like the world is not ready for it or for what you want to do, but that doesn't mean necessarily you shouldn't do it. It just means that you should recognize kind of the, the, the road ahead, well, and the great majority of his uh, examples do exactly that. You know, they're like, oh, I'm vaguely interested in clean energy. And then they become a clean energy expert. And now that is a field where it's very hard to get a job. But because this guy spent like eight years researching it, he now has like his pick of jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I I think that is another area where I felt a little bit shaky about this book, where it was like, well, right, but basically every – case study you have is someone bumbling through their experience in life like we all do and just like picking something they're sort of interested in <laughs> you know as a and i get that his his idea is like now we have these rules and we can use them to direct those interests but it does seem like and i've experienced this in my own life like everyone i knew who go coming out of college knew exactly what they wanted to do you know tried to only get that job kind of like spent seven years at that job and then we're like oh this is not at all what i want to do whereas everyone i know who like sort of bumbled around found something they really liked right and this idea that um i mean i think he has a very rule-based idea but in in reality i think people have to bounce around a little bit well he's a computer scientist <laughs> of course yeah right he has these rules <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess, and he tries to explain how he used these rules in his own life, and I didn't really buy that at all. Like, it sounded like his story was also like, I bumbled about and figured out what I wanted to do. Well, but he endorses the bumbling about. He doesn't say yes, to do yeah. that. I mean, so. Sure. I mean, Go so I, I wouldn't hold that against it, but right. I mean, I think, you know, what's missing, and it's not really the scope of the book, so I, I know this isn't a harsh criticism, but is really how how does one make that balance with things which you maybe really do have a passion for, how can you find a way to make that your career, right? So rather than don't follow your passion, it could be right. how, how does one begin to make that middle ground? And understanding that, and, and I think, you know, and, and help do it according to your own definition of success, right? You know, in, in an example I probably used before, you know, if you want to be an experimental noise musician, right? Who, who only uses feedback loops. Um, you can get really good at that. I, I mean that I, that's, I'm not putting it down. And if your definition of success is maybe I find a way that I can, you know, put food on the table and do this, you know, and work with people I like and work with other musicians and artists and not starve. It's great. If you're like, I want to be, you know, as big as guns and roses in 1990, 
well, you're, you're setting yourself up <laughs> for, for right. you know, in a certain way. And, and, and so it's making, and, and it's, and so to me, it's not don't follow your passion. It's well, be, try to figure out what following your passion really means in terms of success. What is that? What does that life look like? What does that world look like? And, you know, a, a quote I really like out of the book, and it comes in the conclusion is working right trumps finding the right work. And I think that that's what I really like that because working right means a lot of things. And it, and so it may mean that, you know, as a musician, I want to do these things, right? So it's not, oh, I want to have groupies and go, uh, you know, and make millions of dollars. It is more, well, as a musician, I would like to be able to play concerts or maybe teach other people or engage in education or, you know, or release records and, and, and really figure out what the work looks like rather than what the success looks like, right? Do some goddamn research is basically what he's saying. Well, and, and <laughs> I mean, and that's, and that's really true, right? And, and you know, and, and just because someone else isn't doing it doesn't mean you can't. It does mean, though, that you need to take that into account, right? That if, you're, if you are treading new ground, if you're breaking new ground, that comes with more pain, and more difficulty and perhaps requires to some extent more focus and hard work than following in some footsteps. Well, and he does open with a lot of examples of careers that I would have thought would be bad examples for this because they're such hard jobs to get. Like TV writer, I think was a great example where it's like, oh, there actually is this total formula to doing this. It just requires like a lot of work that most people are not willing to do. <laughs> Whereas I think in the popular consciousness that or being an amazing you know, bluegrass musician are both seem like sort of needle in the haystack jobs that you just get picked because you're, you know, like there are a hundred people at your competence level, but you just struck it rich or something. Whereas I think in both those careers, that's maybe more what I thought before I read this book. And then after reading this book, you see like, no, there's like a pretty scientific formula to why these two people got these great jobs. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, sort of scientific. I mean, I think we can't discount luck and who you know and where you're born and all sorts of things that might be something you can overcome, but that puts you at a disadvantage compared to others who simply don't have to overcome them. I totally agree with that. And he does sort of discount the idea of how, like how you get born. Like he says something to the effect that like, well, basically anyone could be Michael Jordan. And I was like, no, I don't think that's true. Right. And I think that that's, yeah. yeah, and I think that anyone can benefit from, from I think, the advice in this book. I think rather it's important not to – the thing is he picks up, you know, what are sort of zero-sum, he calls them, you know, competitive things, right? Not There's only so many jobs uh, for writers, uh, television writers. Yeah, I forget. I, I didn't else. write down. Yeah. Um, you know, because it is like a field where it's pretty highly consolidated and there's only so many positions and not everything you might want to do is quite so consolidated, you know, and he's a professor and that's very consolidated too, right? There's only so many professor jobs and it seems to be a dwindling number, especially professor jobs at like a research university. And, uh, you know, and you have to be chosen, right? Um, you know, and I think, you know, it's not all about jobs where you have to be chosen, right? Where you have to be the, the, the best. It can be a lot of things where you're doing work where 
your work is itself unique enough and there's enough people who want it, right? I mean, in, in a way, like if you're a carpenter and you develop a pretty decent business, uh, maybe making furniture in your local area and you've got enough customers who like your furniture and recommend you to their friends and family, that can be plenty good enough and you don't necessarily have to be the best carpenter, whatever that means, or, you know, it doesn't have to be this uh, quite such a zero-sum game so much as what you bring is a certain degree of, you know, skill, consistency, artisticness, you know, and other aspects that make you the person people turn to. Um, you know, there's a lot of ways to go about that, not just in terms of being, that, and that's why I had the sort of knee-jerk objection to the title being so good they can't ignore you i'm always like well who's they why do we have why do they count um although for many people obviously that's true well i yeah and i think i mean it is very painfully obvious that he is from an ivy league boston Mm -hmm. like i I think he definitely sees this as like this is every job is an equal playing field which i think uh reality wise is not true although after i mean just based on like people's biases and economic distribution and, you know, where you live, you know, you know, Um, but I think, uh, I mean, he definitely sees this as an idea as like, well, this guy, you know, he went to um, the energy, clean energy guy. Did he go to Harvard? I don't remember. He went to like Stanford. Stanford. Okay. And he's like, and then he just so happened there was a, a, you know, a job there. And it's like, well, yeah, I think that happens more often. (laughs) You're at Stanford. So like, you know, so I think that is something that he just takes as a given, which I would also say is like, if you end up going to like the best situation for your field, then yeah, there's going to be tons more opportunities. And I think this is something we sort of don't talk about in colleges. Like, you should just go to the best school because then you'll make a lot of money. I think it's more like you'll make a lot of nepotistic connections that will allow you to do this awesome thing. And it's not to be discounted. I think it's an awesome idea. But I think he's so in that society. Like, that's something he didn't even see as like a a constraint. It's hard to see from the outside. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. So again... I think to, to sum up, I think, uh, you know, I think for someone who uh, is, you know, would like to try and find strategies to help them be better at what it is they enjoy doing as a job or a career, there's some good insights to be found in, in this book. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, it might be a good book for someone just coming out of college. I don't know. But uh... I, I think it's also really good, even if you have a, if you know what job you want to do. Um, mm-hmm. I guess for me, I am pretty clear on what job I want to do. But there was, especially in the early, in the beginning part of the chapter, which I don't think he makes as much out of as he could, is you know these are what makes people happy in a job, and he gives you like very clear yeah. scientific research that he hasn't done, but like others, actual scientists have done, which are like here is what makes people happy overall in a in a career and in a life. And like just, you know, when you go to a job interview, trying to see if those things are being met is is super useful. I mean, yeah. I found it useful for that. No, I think that's, that's very important and something that, you know, it, it's good to ask and, and good to have that emphasis. Um, so yeah, I, I can give it a general recommendation. I think it's, I think it's worth reading and checking out and, you know, taking into account and, and recognizing the, the hidden biases of the author based upon his own privilege. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, but again, it's another thing that uh, I feel like, 
you know, it, he may not state it, but yes, that's that's the reason why you go to Stanford, you know? So, I mean, I think it's in some ways it's a little bit like, well, okay, that's another reason to work really hard and go to XYZ school as opposed to, uh, as opposed to like the lame school. Well, but at the same time, I think you can use, I mean, I... You know, I get I, I get very, uh, as you know, upset about people assuming you need to go to Stanford or Harvard or MIT to in order I don't to think have, you have to. a happy, successful life. And, I, and I've met enough people who have, you know, <laughs> achieved a fair degree of, of success by their own measure. And, and, in and I don't think he would say measure, you have to. Right. Who, that who, was my. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who, I, I don't think he would say you have to. I think it, it basically. Everything in this book is here's how to get a leg up, like on all of these things. Sure, you know, absolutely. it's like if you're obviously if you're in the research, if if your advisor is the guy who does all the clean energy at Stanford and he has a job upcoming, you're much more likely to get that job, you know, than if you went to the community college in Palo Alto. But you can also <laughs> you, know? you can also apply a lot of these things to whatever you want to do. And of course, I think, I think yes, in terms definitely. of that, the strategies are not. Uh, singular in that sort of way, and and don't definitely not are not exclusive only to uh, the the number of fields he uh, he engaged in. Uh, no, his examples just draw very heavily from that, so you can definitely apply to them to your own life. But I could see that being a turnoff to someone trying to read this book. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, do you have a, a thing you like? I do. Um, it's Asics shoes. Uh, I feel like I'm not a runner, but I know lots and lots of runners, and um, I am a walker. I walk all the time, and I have a lot of foot issues, um, and I feel like in terms of gym shoes, they are definitely not talked about in the top five, usually, I feel like, you know, with your Nikes, but um, for me, 100% ASIC shoes, best shoes ever, made for my feet, they're the best. I had a pair for literally 10 years and I threw them out, not because they were destroyed, but because they just smelled bad. <laughs> like they're the best made shoes. They fit me the best. I just love them. Thumbs up. Yeah. I'm trying to decide. I'm not sure I have anything this week. It's, it's, uh, I, I know it's really disappointing. Everyone's waiting. It is disappointing. With, with, not uh, the AeroPress? Is the AeroPress your thing this week? I Sure. I mean, I've only had like one cup strong of coffee. coffee. I had one cup of coffee <laughs> with it. I got myself a new AeroPress, and uh, the, the cup of coffee was good, very good. Um, I need to experiment it with it more. Um, and you know, for like like a twenty five dollar coffee maker, uh, you know, you really you really can't go too wrong with that. I would say there's also um, a video which I'll link to in the show notes that made my week which was um the experimental music must stop must be stopped or something did you watch that no um, i haven't watched it yet our guest jay uh linked to it and it's um a, it's a uh animated short about a child whose mom really likes experimental music and tries <laughs> all these things to make her stop and it's very funny and i think it's aimed at children it's very it's hilarious it, it definitely made my week and I love the experimental music. The experimental music. Oh, must you be know stopped. that really should really should be my, uh, my 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 thing of the week. As I uh, watched, I'll to send you the link. We'll put it in show notes. I watched this uh, doc, not really documentary, but performance video uh, from 1993 of all these comp compiled performance video of all these Japanese noise artists. 
from that time. And it, I was on YouTube, and it's great. And it's the sort of thing that, that like, in 1995, if someone had handed me a VHS of that, I'd have been like, where'd you get this? Right? It would have been the total kind of thing that would be, like, 19th generation dub, totally hard to find, and you would just for a certain small subsection of music geeks would have just been Godhead. And now, of course, it's just on YouTube and it's right there. Um, it was pretty amazing, although I don't think Alan appreciated my watching it as much. <laughs> yeah, I will not be listening to it, but I will definitely <laughs> link to it in the show notes. Uh, I was listening to a lot of um, Velvet Underground demos this week, and I was like, how do I not like noise music if the Velvet Underground is all I listen to for like five years of my life? Now, talk it was about, very confusing to me. Talk about a band that didn't research ahead of time whether or not anyone would, would like what they do. <laughs> yeah, really. It's, What's uh, the, uh, the Brian Eno quote, you know, is that, you know, they may not have sold too many records, but everyone who did went out and bought one, went out and started a band. Right. I mean, ultimately, and, he did okay for himself, but... Well, and talk about a person who, like pushed himself to be good at something. I mean, like, he is canonically known as someone who nothing was good enough, you know? Yeah. And if you listen to the demo tapes they have, um, there's a Peel Slowly and See. I mean, he, like, stops in the middle of a song that sounds like he's doing it fine, and he'll be like, fucking shit! You know, and he'll start yelling at people, and, and it's like, well, that sounded like it was going okay. I don't know what was wrong. Um Clearly someone who is driven to be the best at a thing that most people didn't like. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, ultimately, people came around. They liked it. Yeah, definitely. Well, well that is, and um, Steve Jobs is profiled a little bit in this book. Um, I think that is the thing, like Jobs is always saying, has, there's like a saying ascribed to Jobs that like, you shouldn't make things that people want. You should make... Th things that people don't know they yet want. Um, and that idea is very in that book um, of, you know, the thing 10 years down the line, I feel like is, you know, if you get really good at something that's going to be good or useful to people in 10 years, I think that is ideal. Sure. This uh, 10 years from now, people will be digging up this podcast and uh... they are <laughs> going to be like, Oh, Man, how did I, I really want to go look yeah, how did I not listen to this back in uh, 2014? Well, hopefully everyone who listens to this will start a podcast, because that's what we need, more podcasts. We, yeah, we do, actually. We need more we podcasts. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you, Paul. <laughs>